This is the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad Network. For every horror movie that ends up on VOD, there are countless others that end up DOA. Development Hell is a podcast dedicated to unearthing these plagued horror productions to find out what went wrong and if they've still got a shot at the green light. Today we're going to be discussing a film that made it all the way to release. We're talking about 2020 Shutter release, The Mortuary Collection. We're having an in-depth interview with creator Ryan Spindell, who's going to talk about his own development hell journey, not just with the Mortuary Collection, but as an indie filmmaker in Hollywood. So if you want to know what it takes to get an indie horror film made these days, take a listen. All right. Hi, Ryan. Thank you for coming on my podcast. I'm really excited to have you here. You're kind of like our first celebrity guest of sorts. So that's <laughs> exciting. Well, <laughs> uh, uh, you're the first person to ever refer to me as a celebrity. So that is yeah. awfully exciting. Wow. It started. You're going to have like a reality show soon. <laughs> <laughs> um, so how would you introduce yourself? Oh, uh, I am, my name is Ryan Spindell. Uh, I am the writer and director of a feature film called The Mortuary Collection, which just premiered on Shudder um, for Halloween. Where are you based right now? I'm in, uh, I'm in Los Angeles. I live in Silver Lake. Very cool. Um, what's it like there right now in all of this Gehenna? It's surreal, honestly. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it, we have a sort of weird combination of the fact that where, uh, where are you, by the way? I'm in Toronto. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. So very different. Um, mm-hmm. We have, it's kind of surreal here in that, you know, we have beautiful weather most of the year and, um, you know, fires, uh, natural disasters aside. And so we're kind of, you know, I live on a hill and I have sort of a view of, of downtown and it's just like looking out the window and seeing this, the beautiful perfection that sort of is uh, LA on the surface, but knowing that you can't really venture into it or sort of do any of the things that, you know, you would normally move to this city for. And I'm definitely somebody from really, really small towns. So I moved to the city and I live in the city because because of the people who are here and the things that come with living in a city. And the fact that those things don't exist anymore and now I can't be around the people um, has definitely made me reevaluate sort of my priorities, I think. Oh, God, me too. Like, I'm paying so much money to live in a tiny oh, apartment in the city when I could live in a spooky cabin for half a time. <laughs> or a castle. <laughs> or a castle. Absolutely a castle. That's how we would do it. So I'm going to dive right in because I am a journalist. Is there really? any truth behind the rumors of a Mortuary Collection TV series? Or is this all fabrication? I I hope so. Um, I hope so. That's, I, I think, it, you know, I've been working on this for so long that I, I feel mm-hmm. like it's unclear to me where the, the seed of everything began. But I, I do think that I remember moving to LA and, and really, you know, being sort of fascinated by um, 
this specific brand of horror, which is, uh, I guess the easiest way to classify it would be fun horror, sort of the, the throwback kind of Amblin, fantastical, um, sort of adventure-y, maybe a little bit sort of, there's a little bit of childlike wonder in there. I've always been fascinated with that. And because of that, you know, I was really drawn to series like Tales from the Crypt, that was on HBO, Creepshow, the movie, and uh, and all, all the different sort of spinoffs of, you know, what initially were EC comics and sort of that kind of tongue planted firmly in cheek genre. And, um, you know, I moved out here and I was like, I really feel like that's the kind of series I want to see again, but it doesn't exist. Let me just walk into all of these studios and ask them if I can start making Tales from the Crypt or I can get the rights to eerie or creepy or uh, creep show and kind of like trying to find a brand that people uh-huh. recognize that, that I could then sort of you know, spin more of those of those yarns, and um, mm-hmm. I was quickly shot down, uh, obviously because I was a nobody, and I'm trying to get hold of these properties that were never going to be let go to someone like me, and um, and so I was like, you know, maybe why don't I just make a film that sort of in the vein of, of Creepshow and the anthology movies that I really loved growing up, and use that to kind of create my own sort of a world of stories. And then if it works and if people like it from there, we could sort of branch out into a series of some sort or sequels or, or whatever, you know, the mm-hmm. the audience demands. And so, you know, that was 12 years ago that I was thinking these thoughts. So now I'm just kind of coming off of making this film. Uh, and, you know, the, the world of Raven's End, I think is overstuffed with more stories to be told. And many of them I already have pretty fleshed out uh in my brain or on my computer here so i think if the, if the word gets out about this movie and if enough people say that they want more i think maybe the powers that be will take notice i am a child of are you afraid of the dark so mm. your film really resonated with me on every possible level did anybody get the the sign for raven's end is that the name um yeah you mean did anybody get to keep it yeah Ah, uh, no, I, I wish it was the coolest sign. What we did, it, it was actually a pretty good trade-off because the thing was massive and it weighed a ton. Okay. And we shot right. we shot all that stuff up in Astoria, Oregon, um, which is you know pretty far away from here. That's where they shot all the exterior stuff from Goonies. It's uh it's got that sort of I was so thing. convinced it was Canada. I really, really was hoping that it would be. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, we originally, I wanted to shoot in Canada uh, very much. My initial uh, spot that we came really close to shooting was actually in Montreal um, because it has that really amazing Gothic architecture that's kind of impossible to find uh, on this continent. But um, we ended up running into some trouble with the unions where we just, our movie was just too small to afford that kind of uh, trip. And so Oregon ended up being the next best thing just because it has these, you know, these epic landscapes, these like amazing forests and Astoria in particular is basically a town uh, completely made of sort of these little quaint Victorian homes kind of wedged against the coast. So um, we kind of shifted what, what Raven's end was and what it would look like a little bit to make that work. Um, But I think it did, it did end up being something sort of wholly original, which is, which is probably better in the long run. Oh, and to answer the question about the sign, um, what ended up oh, happening yeah. is because my friend uh, and our art director, Katie, she made that thing by hand and it was so beautiful. I, I don't even feel like the movie captures it in really all of its glory. We donated it to the Oregon Film Museum, which is actually based in Astoria. So we're hoping that at some point, you know, if this if enough people like this movie, they'll be sort of uh, inspired to create an entire exhibit based on our film and we can sort of put put a bunch more cool props and stuff up there to 
for people to come and check out firsthand. Wow, you're going to be immortalized in a museum. Who knows? I mean, you know, we have dreams. <laughs> we all have it's dreams. Very cool. So you were saying it's been sort of a journey for this film to actualize. Um, I know it started off as a short film, The Babysitter Murders. Was mm-hmm. it back in 2015? Mm-hmm. Um, would you say it's an advisable route for indie filmmakers to go from short to feature? Or would you say absolutely not stop right now? Ooh, I, I'm a little bit mixed on this one. Um, I guess I would say that, yes, it's advisable. But I think you have to manage your expectations. Uh-huh. Um the way that we went about making this is I wrote the feature first, which was made of five shorts, shorts basically all tied together. And then um, I pulled one of the shorts out of the movie and uh, and sort of shot that as the proof of concept. So we did like a Kickstarter. We raised some money and, and we made that back in 2015, as you already said. Um, so it was always envisioned as um, as part of the overall feature. And what was kind of interesting is because the the mo- the, the short was kind of – designed to be the climax of uh, Sam's story. And Sam was a character, you know, that we had sort of established and kind of been following through the whole movie. The short was designed to be just her climax. So I remember when we pulled it out thinking, well, is this going to feel like a three-part story? Because really, we're just seeing the end of this one character's story. But that's kind of the beauty of shorts is you you don't need to sort of... I, I do think you need to tell a three-act story. I think you need that structure still. But you can sort of you know, it takes some more wild swings and just sort of go for it and kind of just uh, just kind of get crazy and not have to worry about sort of all the little mechanics that sort of a longer film makes. So um, oh, okay, we cool. did make that film and it did do really well. I um, I got some fancy new uh, reps here in LA and uh, we played a ton of festivals and we won a bunch of festivals and it really did almost as much as um, a short could possibly do for you, but it did not get me the feature. Um, Mm-hmm. And most people were still sort of unable to imagine what an anthology feature would look like. And so all the studios basically said no. Um, and we did end up finding uh, money independently to make the movie. Mm-hmm. So we sort of, you know, it was a one fourth of what everyone was saying we would need to even begin to make it. So it was a very small kind of like a guerrilla production. And I remember sort of going into that production thinking like, well, making a short is 100% a waste of time at this point, like other than practice, you know, like just sort of playing with the craft and kind of experimentation, it really has no value. But what I did learn in the process of making this is that when I wanted to reach out to um, collaborators, like for instance, our special effects company, um, I knew that this movie needed a lot of special effects. And I reached out to one of the best special effects companies in the world who have no business working on a movie this small. And I said, um, I sent them this impassioned letter and I sent them a link to the short and they watched the short and they really loved the short and that got opened the conversation. And that ultimately got us sort of this amazing company that otherwise we probably wouldn't even have been able to get through the front door. And that kept happening again and again, it happened with actors when we could send them the short and then it would sort of get streamlined right to the front or uh, our special effects guys uh, all the way down to crew. And so where the short really paid off is in the actual making of the film because we could show people what we were doing and people could sign up knowing that they were in good hands. You're there's, you're just screaming into the void sometimes, which is true. But at the same time, if you have something special, which clearly you did, all of a sudden, all of that competition and all of that void doesn't matter because people are looking for something special. So it's you true, but to have that. 
that that is i mean that is true but here's the thing you don't really there's not really a, a point in which you know you have something special it like i would say you know in every project i've done there's always been a point where it just felt like a total wash and i should have walked away but i was like i can't i have to keep pushing forward like now it's just sort of uh, i i got i got to get to the end just to get to the end sort of thing and then you kind of come out the other side and you know, sometimes you make something that's that's fine, and sometimes you get lucky and you make something that really works for people. And you kind of can't see that when you're in the woods. You kind of have to just have this weird blind faith, and you have to push it, push through to the very, very end before you can find out. And I think that's such a demoralizing and tricky thing to navigate for filmmakers, especially new filmmakers. Oh, definitely. So this is a podcast that's going to be all about uh, development hell. A lot about films that never made it out of development hell like one of my first ones is going to be on freddy versus jason 2 and sort of fun uh-huh. franchise stuff like that uh-huh. but as a filmmaker who's been through it i was just wondering what is development hell to you like how would you define it there's a quote hollywood is the only place you can die from encouragement Oof, dark <laughs> let's go there man yeah, yeah. um and i think that's what development hell is. I think development hell is, you know, th- there's sort of different phases of your career. The first phase is you're screaming into the void, as you mentioned, and nobody is screaming back. Uh-huh. Um, the second phase is you scream into the void and people answer and they're excited, but those people don't really have what it takes to actually do anything about it or never intend to do anything about it in the first place. Mm-hmm. And it's this phase that I think I would categorize as development hell, which is People getting really excited about a project, uh, you know, usually non-creatives um, who don't really have to do the work. They just they just sort of tell you the things you want to hear, and and maybe they throw you a little bit of money, or maybe they say money is coming eventually, but but it never does. Um, and they sort of they they catch you up in this whirlwind of working, you know, for months on a project that's that's really unlikely to ever happen, uh, if ever was going to happen in the beginning, because they're just kind of taking wild swings, you know they. They go out to 20 people and they have 20 people take wild swings and maybe somebody brings them gold and maybe nobody brings them anything and they kind of move on. But for us in the trenches, we're one of those 20 people who are working on these projects and kind of slaving away you know, with the thought that you know, we, this really is going to be something. Ultimately, it, it most often of the times is not. And so for me, I spent um, – I made some movies in film school and they were uh, – one of them was really successful and I kind of – brought me out to LA and I got some, some reps and I was taking all of these really ridiculous meetings that I first, honestly, I don't know why I was going into some of these places, but I think I had 46 meetings in the first two months I was out here. Everybody was excited, but nobody was going to, everybody wanted to keep talking. Let's keep talking. Just send me stuff. Let's keep talking. Um, and I went for about four years of just talking to people and, and writing on the side, of course, because you have to always be writing, but and I thought, you know, I genuinely thought like, oh, I have a career because my career is going to meetings. I know all of these important people uh, and we we talk about things. And sometimes I go all in and I work for a couple months on a pitch and I put together materials. And I realized after about, I think it was about four years of that, that um, I hadn't made anything. And that was the only reason that I started doing this in the first place. And I really had to take a step back and I left my reps and I I started focusing in and I made my first short out here, which is called The Root of the Problem. 
And that was the first time I realized, oh yeah, this is why I'm doing it. I can make a thing. And then of course, the root of the problem plays a bunch of festivals. And then of course, people are interested again and the whole cycle starts to repeat itself. Um, and, uh, but I just kept making things from there. And that's kind of where the mortuary collection and the babysitter murders was born was this idea of like, let's just keep making things because every time we make something, people respond. And if we make enough things, people will have to sort of pull the trigger. They won't, it won't just be like a casual discussion. It will be something more. And it's easy to, I mean, look, even right now, having just made the movie and sort of it's released into the world and the response has been amazing. I'm worried about falling back into the trap of taking meetings and discussing projects that could be for another several years because it's it's a place I don't ever want to go back to. And it, it's always kind of calling because this idea of, oh, you're going to finally take this step and suddenly, you know, J.J. Abrams is going to call you in and he's going to give you a project and then you're off to the races. And from then on out, you're a professional filmmaker. And, you know, that does happen for some people. But I think for the most of us, we just have to keep making. Uh, that's chilling because I'm experiencing a lot of what you're describing right now as a filmmaker and yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna have to revisit that emotionally at some point in my future but for (laughs) for now i was wondering what's like do you have any sense of what's next for you i was seeing that there's a documentary called we come in pieces about anthology horror which looks extremely cool but if someone yeah if someone's to ask you like what are you working on now or next what would you say um like Everyone, I have several projects in the works right now. I mean, this this project has uh, been all encompassing for so long. It was it was actually a pretty big readjust to sort of take the next step and sort of start thinking about what's next. And that's the kind of thing that's different about directors from writers. And I know a lot of writers who are working a lot. And the thing about writers is they just churn out scripts, right? So they write a script, go out, maybe it sells, maybe it doesn't. Here's another script, and they just kind of keep keep attacking it. But for creatives and directors like us. Um, I don't know. Are you a director? You didn't say. You're, you're uh, yeah. I, okay, cool. I mean, listen, I've, we've done one short, but I'm going to say yes. That's my answer. Okay. that's You are a director. If you've made a short, you're a director for sure. <laughs> Thank you. I um, appreciate it. <laughs> um, for directors like us, it's harder because every time we, we ramp up, it's, you know, it's taking out credit cards, it's spending our own money, or if it's somebody else's money, it's still an emotional investment and you kind of you kind of give yourself completely to to a project for, you know, one month to a year or two. And so we can't just keep churning out content like those guys and so or girls. And so um it's tricky for us with 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 me like finishing this feature and, and figuring out the next step. I have to sort of be careful about which direction I go because, you know, if I jump onto another project, that's gonna be the next year of my life. And I want to spend my life making projects that I, you know, so far I've I've focused on projects that I genuinely care about and and inspire me. And, and I, you know, I, you can't be too picky, I guess, but if I can somehow figure out a way to continue that, uh, that would be ideal. So of course I'm finishing a, a feature right now that I'm really excited about. I, I very much want to live in the, um, the uh, horror space. Uh, I think my, my genre specifically leaning towards, I guess like a, a dark Steven Spielberg would be the the ultimate way for people to describe me. <laughs> if I could choose. Yeah, when you said Amblin Horror earlier, I was like, yes, that's that that's correct. I would agree with it. I love that. And I I would very much feel just as comfortable, I think, making a hard R straight horror movie as I would uh a reboot of uh Are You Afraid of the Dark? Yeah, sorry. Are yes, you Dark? yes. Well this um, is a hard R version of Are You Afraid of the Dark, honestly. So it kind, yeah, yeah. It, it kind of is. I kind of is somebody who asked me, they're like well, it starts out like uh, 
you know, Disney's Haunted Mansion and then suddenly it's it's like a hard R. I'm just curious, like, who is this for? Is this for adults or kids? And I said, um, it's for adults who still feel like kids. There's so many of us. I mean, I, oh, yeah, I, I want to recapture that. I want to feel that feeling again that I felt when I was 12 and I was introduced yeah, to horror like for the, the first comfort time. of being traumatized as a little kid. Like, I'm chasing that every day. Right, right. And I, and I like also how somehow if you're making uh, – content for a younger audience it's somehow less lesser content i think that that's bullshit like sure a lot of Absolutely. a lot of stuff maybe now that's being made for teenagers is sort of talking down to them and, and it is lesser content but i think you can make significant cinema for all ages um if you do it with sort of heart and that's kind of the oh. direction i would like to to head oh, definitely in. and people are always so shocked when you make something of substance and then put it in a YA package, like with Buffy or from a number of different projects. Like people oh, yeah. are so floored when it happens, but it doesn't need to be like that because there's so much good stuff out there. A hundred percent. I think it just, it, there just needs to be more creators. There needs to be who get that opportunity more Joss Whedon's and, uh, mm-hmm. and, and other people that sort of, you know, and it's tricky because the, the, the film industry has become super, uh, narrow and what movies need to be and, and marketing departments, how they need to sell them. And I'm hoping, and I, and I think we're seeing this right now in that the streaming market and all the movies that they sort of need to fill their slates, they're kind of taking a lot more wilder swings. They're letting creatives kind of uh, follow their gut. And I think that, you know, I hope that that great movies are going to come of it. You know, the negative would be that it would just, they, the streamers themselves slip into the same patterns as the studios, but right now is a great time to be a filmmaker. Oh, totally. It's like with music. There's just, sure, popular music always, you know, you can complain about. But now that anyone can make indie music, there's so much cool stuff out there. And I think the same thing is happening with film. Um, You were talking earlier about um, approaching companies to take on, like, big IPs, like Creepshow and stuff like that. Do you have, like, any dream adaptations in your back pocket, like books or games or anything like that? Like, do you have, like, a dream adaptation that you would want to do that you can tell us about oh man um god i have so many i mean there's a ray yeah. bradbury book of short oh. stories called is it the uh, october yeah. country i'm sorry to interrupt yeah, you no no, no i'm no, reading sorry. the halloween tree literally as we speak like before and after this interview so it's hilarious that that you just said that i it, love so that good. book so much it's terrifying and beautiful the one about the people that get buried alive and i think latin america is that like one of the first ones Uh in there that is such a scary delightful book that i can i obviously you know calls to you i can i can see why (laughs) well yeah i mean and, and you you kind of you pinned it it's ray bradbury is somehow manages to write something that's incredibly scary and incredibly beautiful simultaneously, which I just so love. And I think that lends itself so well to cinema and, and cinematic language and visuals and sound. I, I, I'm trying to think of those stories because I, I read that book about a year ago for the first time. And some of them scared me so much. Do you have any like off cuff that you remember that like really stand out to you from that anthology? Uh, I like this one called The Crowd. It's, Remind um, me. Uh, I, I remember. Yeah, remind me. I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. Yeah. Um, it's so good. The guy, uh, the guy gets the car accident, and uh, he sort of wakes up on the street, and he's surrounded by this group of people who are kind of like encroaching, you know, kind of like mm-hmm. looky loose, and mm-hmm. uh, they start to encroach in so tightly that um, 
that he's like feeling overwhelmed by them. And all of a sudden the ambulance sort of shows up and the people kind of disperse and they get taken, he gets taken away. And then later he's sort of driving home and he sees another car accident. And he sees a body on the ground and he sees the same group of people um, around that body. And he starts to sort of uncover this like weird supernatural conspiracy of this same group of people that show up every time someone's close to death uh, to take them away. And um, it's just so cool and eerie and, and oh, uh, cool. amazing. It's- it's like an adult version of scary stories to tell in the dark, kind of. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I felt like I felt like the scary stories to tell in the dark books were kind of for adults, based on just the artwork. The artwork <laughs> I, alone was yeah. like, no, they were for kids, and they were to absolutely destroy the the minds of young kids. And I think it was successful. Yeah. Did you like the the film that they made? I did. I you know I don't always I can't always trust myself with stuff like that if it's good or if i'm just really into it but i can tell you i was i was really into it (laughs) yeah i'm uh i'm right there with you i also (laughs) was sort of taken by the the beauty of the production and sort of the the color palette and how wonderfully immersive it was i i definitely would have preferred a more anthological uh structure to it yeah yeah Um, i feel you uh, um, not, not to and, be not to be pushing the anthology on every movie, but it just it it kind of screamed of that, and I and I feel like if that movie had leaned into the anthology aspect and had done it well, I think anthologies would be a lot more of a of a viable uh, right now. I know people are scared of the anthology. I think uh, in, in the 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 suits. I have a feeling you know better than I do, but I feel like yes. people aren't totally sure how to sell them, and they ruined Harold. Obviously, I would say Harold is obviously like the scariest story of all time, and it was very CGI, um, and just and so. Um... So I mean I think I feel like it, it it eliminated the things about the original Herald story that are so unsettling. The Jesus, the two yeah. farmers in the middle of nowhere, like oh my god, I, I, yeah. And then the the, the skinning aspect, the skinning. Is just, yeah. oh gruesome. <laughs> and him dancing on the roof, like a was uh, he dancing uh, at the end. Well, no, remember that was the thing is like first uh, Harold starts to make sounds. Then okay. he starts yeah, to yeah. move, and then uh-huh. he starts to dance on the roof every night. Okay. Oh, that Harold, he's up to no <laughs> good. I I want a Harold movie. Uh, okay. I yeah. I I mean, um, I I could I would definitely direct a Harold movie. That would be amazing. Please, please do. I did. I I don't have a direct uh, uh, association with Guillermo del Toro, although. Oh, okay. Bye, bye. I'm hanging up. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's the, that's the whole emphasis for this. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I should have done some research ahead of time. Damn it. Um, <laughs> okay. He, yeah. I, I I mean he obviously is one of my heroes, and I just to even sort of talk to him for five minutes would be amazing. But uh, no, some company or Legendary Pictures was doing a. Um, this promotional thing for Crimson Peak, and it was really cool. Basically, they built these amazing Crimson Peak sets um, at a soundstage here in LA, and they brought in like twelve filmmakers to uh, to make short films uh, within in the sets. So we basically, it was actually an insane project too, because it was like, it was like, can you write a movie that can take place in uh, uh, the foyer of a, of a mansion. And I was just like, Uh, yeah, I I was like, yeah, my, in the meeting I said, yes. But then creatively off the side, I was like, how the the hell am I going to just write 
a, a something that's set to mansion. I, I didn't even get to look at the look at the space until like two oh, days okay. before shooting. Oh, that's terrifying. And we, and we only had eight hours to shoot it. And so it was like oh, it was okay. It was a real crazy like, okay, I'm just going to get like some volunteer friends and uh, t- two actors that I know and a-, a couple of costumes from Goodwill and I'm just going to like throw it together. But it was really, really fun. Um, it was a really fun project. It's it's out there now. It's called Bundle of Nerves. I think you can see it on my Vimeo page. Damn. Okay, if you can make an installment or a direct-to-video entry to any of the 80s horror franchises, like do you know which one you would you would choose? Like really late to the game, preferably direct to video, preferably like in canon, like so no reboots. Uh huh. Okay, no reboots. Um, no reboots. No prequels. Yeah. It's funny because I was when you first asked, I was thinking um, in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre uh, canon, but that is such a quagmire of reboots oh. upon reboots upon reboots. Well, I, I know where that canon where. ends, and I would love that. So that ends with the McConaughey uh, Zellweger moment, canon wise. You think that's the last one uh, before I'm before reboot? Certain of it. Yeah. What's it called? <laughs> the Next Generation or something? Next Generation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Texas. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It had such a good poster though with the lipstick slash chainsaw. It did. It did. Jesus. Um, um, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if that would be my choice though because yeah, I'm not sure if I if I would be able to progress forward on the on that trajectory. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that would be possible. <laughs> I mean, it would be. I'd, I'd have to go uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh-huh. Um, um, oh man, I can tell you're disappointed by that answer. I, no, I'm not disappointed at all. It's. I was uh, just thinking, where does it go? Like, does that go post New Nightmare? I think it go. It's a, a present day. Uh, I think it's set in present day, and I think it revolves around um, Elm Street having sort of disappeared off the map, and uh, it uh, starting to re-emerge in interesting ways um, as the memory of Freddy starts to be sort of somebody finds some part of Freddy, maybe a glove, uh-huh. and he starts to regain power again or so, something along those lines. Hey, please make a new Freddy movie. I have been desperate for some Freddy for the last, like, what, 11 years or something insane? It, yeah, what's happening with that? I know. It seems like the West Craven estate is, like, taking pitches, so maybe you need to call them? I don't know. Is that true? That's Yeah. I believe it is true. At least it was like a few months ago or something. They were the West Craven estate was said something along the lines that they were taking pitches. And I know SpectraVision, the Elijah Wood company, mm-hmm. uh, definitely had a pitch ready for them. So I feel like it's something is going to happen. Yeah, I mean, I feel like how do you compete with Elijah Wood? You know, one of my biggest crushes too. I have to say, like Hollywood wise, so he, you can't. It's impossible. He is pretty awesome. Uh, as a straight man, I can tell you that I totally get that, and Ugh. he's just got a lot. He, he he's just cool. He's just a cool guy. And then he's he's like a giant, enormous celebrity, but also like making weirdo mm. horror movies. I mean, what oh, you can tell, you can tell he he gets it, and like he, he his podcast. I did an interview with Guillermo del Toro, and I was like, oh, this guy's it's living. great. I know, of course. His he's like he's like let's make a podcast, and we'll only talk to a list directors. Taika, <laughs> can you imagine? I mean, that's kind of I'm living my version of that right now. So there you go. <laughs> All right, so your answer is nightmare, and I think that's actually a really a good answer. Can I tell you what mine is? Because yes, I've been desperate to talk about this. I want to make okay. I don't know if you're aware, but there is a third. I know what you did last summer movie called I'll Always Know What You Did Last Summer. Mm-hmm. Were you aware mm-hmm. of this? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, I want to make a fourth one. All I know is that I think I'm going to call it Forever Summer, like get the number in the title. Ooh. And I want an hash back from the first one somehow. And uh-huh. I 
think I want to change it to like a Louisiana swamp setting. Okay. And that is all I have. That's all I've got. That's all I've got. And like a storm. Yeah, that's great. I mean, are you gonna, how, how do you connect? You have to connect summer um, to Louisiana. So if you want the swamp setting, you have to figure some sort of uh, maybe mm-hmm. spring a spring break setting's a little bit boring. Maybe or yeah, or just do winter and never talk about why. Just like never give any explanation. <laughs> the theory is bonkers and it doesn't make sense. I can tell you that right now. I, I I've investigated the plot holes and it really doesn't add up. But um, yeah, you're right. Summer needs to be there. It's very Fourth of July with the fireworks and all that crap. Mm, I, forever summer is great. Do you like it? Thank you. I do. I do. I or like endless it. summer, maybe like kind of Lana Del Rey vibes. I don't know. I, I, I've, I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking. Yeah. So yeah. Now you have me already. Now I'm thinking. Now my mind's already going. Okay. Now how do you connect summer? Do you? It's some sort of like yeah, yeah. Galveston, Texas, sort of summer destination spot that's like swamp adjacent or like yeah. Well, I'm thinking like New she's, she's like in the swamps. She has this like shack that's like in the swamps. But you know those like um those like houses that are in the swamps and they're kind of like built on top of like, yes exactly yeah. so i'm thinking she's like there she's on her porch with a shotgun just like waiting for the day and like a bunch of teens and like a motorboat gets stranded at her little shack and oh man can the climax oh, of the film somehow involve like a shit ton of alligators because alligator well of course of course <laughs> okay yeah. okay great <laughs> i love alligators paint them black I like it. <laughs> have you ever been excited about a horror movie that just never came out or never actually got made if if no it's such a specific question that no is acceptable no like, no of course i have um oh i i God. have been waiting for a long time for uh del toro's uh at the mountains of madness i'm gonna do a full-on episode about that so i'm really happy that you said that Oh, amazing. I, I mean, I think that uh, I could just go to Guillermo del Toro's IMDb page and just tell you all of the horror things that I want to see. That are... They should just let him make anything he wants. Where is Hellboy 3? Okay? Oh my god, I know. I, I've never story. been... At the end of Hellboy 2 was just like the best thing of all time. Where is the, the third one where I, I want it? Uh, yeah, I think that it was oh, kind of unceremonious because he's he's such a passionate guy. I know that 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 project that he had been working on for a long time. I know it was close to his heart, and I know that he didn't just walk away for like some petty reason. I, I think it was a yeah. or you know he like got an Oscar, and it was like okay, honey, it's time. Well, to that was that's the thing. That was pre. He was sort of a popcorn guy. I know, and he does it, but he he can do both so well. He kind of like looks like an like an old version of me too. So he's like really, <laughs> I'm really happy with him. He's really in my heart. Like yeah. <laughs> it's it's in the mouth of madness, right? I always get it mixed up because it's hard. In the mountains of madness, mountains. Gotcha. Okay, mouth is a different thing. Sorry, mm-hmm. that's a pretty funny uh, thing. Mountains of madness. Yeah, some. This is a Lovecraft time. I feel like this is the time to see weird interpretations on Lovecraft stuff. I agree. The the thing with me, though, is, and this is, I don't know if this is blasphemous for horror fans, but I'm not super keen on Lovecraft movies that lean heavy into the specific lore. Like when mm. it starts talking about, um, you know, the, the, the specific gods and the sort of kind uh, of thing loses me a little bit. It's a little dense. I, I, I'm i more of a fan of like The Mist, where it's like clearly a Lovecraft inspired tale, but but it still sort of leans into 
story that has a story and has a narrative and it's a story like, yeah yeah because yeah. yeah. he doesn't really i don't know I, I was gonna say love it's not like lovecraft gives us story but i guess he does but i agree with you what's scary about it is like what you're not seeing or what you're only mm-hmm. getting a glimpse of the mm-hmm. mist is so good how how dare that be as good as it is the story and the movie <laughs> I agree with that. I I don't know. That's like that was a criminally under under loved movie. I think for its time. See, I like it though because like no one gets it but me. No one can have it. It's it's mine. That's true. You know? That's true. You there's. I I think some movies almost have a superpower by being that. They would it would probably hurt them uh, if they were just like the biggest thing in in the world. Although biggest Oscar snub of all time goes to the actress. I don't remember her name. The one that plays the crazy religious lady. Um, oh yeah. You might know her about her this name. This is Carmody. I don't remember yeah. her. That uh, she's like a big deal. I think she was a lead on the show Weeds. People are in, in the car yelling at us right now. Um, but yeah, <laughs> she that should have been an Oscar for her. Um, okay, have you ever been? Yeah. Okay. So, is there any other that on that you can think of that mm. is like you were excited about that you just like it didn't happen? And again, no. I should have done some more research on this because I feel like I could probably list off like 30. Um, I know, I know. And then like after we hang up, I'm going to be like, oh, uh, every movie I've ever made. It's You know what though? Life. I will say one other, uh, not to backtrack, but another movie. C- can it be a third movie in a franchise? Absolutely. Oh, I would also love uh, to take a stab at The Fly. I love this idea. Do you have like any, <laughs> any like pitch off the cuff? Um, it's so good. I can't say it out loud. No, I'm just kidding. I don't have one, but it would. I just love that. I love the fly so much. Gotta get I, Jack, somehow. I don't know how yeah. you're gonna do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, was it a Mick Garris movie, The Fly Two? I feel like it was. No, I th- oh, uh, directing. So yeah, maybe he may have been involved, but the director, I think, of The Fly Two was the um, he was somebody that worked on The Fly One. He was like, I think, the special effects guy. Maybe cool. Oh, I love when people get get a, a raise. That's, that's so inspiring. I liked that. I have liked the fly too. I I haven't seen it for a really long time, but I really liked it as a kid, and I was really. I haven't bad. seen it. I mean, I can yeah. say I don't know if this counts for your second question, but I would do anything to see Peter Jackson make another horror movie. I we were, I was talking about all the unmade Nightmare on Elm Street movies, and I was going through his pitch for oh, yeah. Nightmare on Elm Street Six. Do you know what I'm talking about? I know he did. I know he wrote a script for it, but I haven't. Yeah. yeah, he wrote a script called The Dream Lover, and I'm hoping there's a romance involved, hence the title. But that's all I have. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I I think you know what's so weird. I want to say that somewhere it, I heard that, and I think somehow it's loosely inspired my version of Nightmare on Elm Street that I pitched you already. I ganked that something. You may have also watched Never Sleep Again, the documentary that's the best documentary of all time. I'm sorry to your documentary, because I'm sure it's good too. But Oh, I know. Never Sleep Again is the best 37-hour documentary I've ever I seen. I mean, why isn't it just a TV show? I, I, I don't get to ask <laughs> questions. I have no complaints. It's fine. My my documentary um, also is just a uh, it's a short. It was it was just it was part of our Kickstarter ah, campaign ah. that we we used to sort of give the genre websites um, some content so we could sort of um, get their help raising money. And I it kind of started off as a marketing thing, but it ended up being a really awesome experience, and I, I really enjoyed making it. Um, and and also documentaries are um, easy to make. <laughs> I'm kind of just saying that to piss off documentary filmmakers, but oh, they're mad. <laughs> There's something about like when you're like making a, you know a film like the Mortuary Collection for some reason, and 
every single set, every single prop, every single car, every costume, every hairstyle, every like element of it has to be made from scratch and painted and built and lit and fixed. And there's something really insane about just going into somebody's office and setting up a camera and like shooting them doing an interview and cutting it together and then you have a movie and you're like how dare this be more engaging than the thing i built by hand you know what i mean that's so true but you know you know who really makes a documentary come to life is the editor that's Uh the uh that's the magician behind the oh uh, that's the same for any film i'd argue are you, did, you didn't edit your films, did you? Or am I fully un, uninformed? No, I didn't. I didn't. I, I worked with a, a couple of really great editors on the Mortuary Collection, but I, 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 I used to edit, but I have uh, I've deferred because I just don't like. I lose my mind when I sit at a computer all day. When I, I love to sit with an editor and drive them literally insane. That's um, my. That's I, my trick. That's my. That's trick. Trick. Yeah. <laughs> and at the end, you're happy and you're friends, but in the process, they're not. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Yes. To Keith. Any other favorite anthology horror that maybe people might not have heard of at home? Well, I'm glad you brought it up. This is a nice segue actually coming off of Wes Craven because I Uh-oh. was just thinking about uh, uh, John Carpenter made a movie called Body Bag. It's fantastic. It's a wonderful uh, uh, sort of lesser known horror anthology that was initially to, made to be a TV show, a made for TV movie. And I think they repurposed it to a feature. But the reason that I bring it up, other than it being wonderful, is that Wes Craven is in it as an actor, and he's fantastic in it. Which segment was he? Is he? Is it like a gas station segment? He's in the gas station segment, and it really kind of gave me a little. I watched it not long ago, and it gave me a sort of a little emotional, uh, sort of little yeah. kick to see him just kind of doing his thing. It, you know, yeah. on the set, yeah. surrounded by all of his contemporary like horror friends. Can you imagine hanging out with those guys? Just, Jesus Louise. I was listening to um, the director of Friday the 13th Part 6 on some podcast recently. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about how he was like at a dinner party with all of these directors, including Quentin Tarantino, just talking about horror. And how Quentin Tarantino's favorite Friday movie is Part 5, which is so funny to me. But I was just like, I, I, yeah. I want to go there right now. I, they have a thing out here in L.A., that Mick Garris hosts, I believe, called oh, Masters of Horror Dinner. This and actually might be what I'm talking about, honestly. It is. But, no, it okay. is. It is? Sure. Yeah, okay. <laughs> it, it's all of those guys. It's uh, Wes Craven. It's Quentin Tarantino. It's Robert Rodriguez. It's Guillermo yeah. del Toro. It's all of the like the who's who of like kick-ass uh, genre directors. Just having a dinner, having dinner and drinking and talking about movies. And then there's sometimes there's some younger up-and-coming guys that I don't know how the fuck they, they managed to get their way in there, but I'm so envious of them. them. Yeah, I hate them. They don't. Th- that being said, I would probably go there and I'd just be, like, so, like, nervous that I would just quietly... No, because then like, they'd start talking about body bags or something, and you'd be like, I have so much to say. <laughs> like, that's how it would happen. That's and, totally it, like, true. that's the thing with horror people, is that they can be intimidating, but the second you start talking about anything that you share in common it's like okay yeah you're my best friend forever it's true it's 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 interesting because you know growing up as a horror person and uh kind of oh never really being at the cool kids table um Mm -hmm. and it's interesting to move to la and have met all of these other people who are never at the cool kids table and now it's it feels like there's a cool kids table within the uncool kids table which is the masters of horror dinner and uh, how do you ever get – I feel like I'm, I'm never – no matter where, where I get in my career, I'm never – there's like one more cool table above me that I, I can't quite get to. You have to make the next generation. You know what I mean? Like 
They're all, they're all, um, you know, they're on the way out. It's fine. It'll just be me and a bunch of influencers. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, don't say that. I'll come to you. It'll be fun. But yeah, I know. What a dream. Yes, that's exactly what they were talking about. It was just, I was also obsessed with Quentin Tarantino liking the fifth Friday the most because it's the worst one, but it's so Quentin Tarantino in every possible way. He has wonderful wonderfully weird taste and it's like a blessing if quentin tarantino comes out and says publicly that he really dug your movie but it also secretly means that it's the worst entry. <laughs> that's right that's right, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> i love that um do you have any advice for emerging filmmakers in the world um yeah i i do i mean i this maybe comes back to what we talked about earlier but i i would um, especially for people moving out to LA and, and getting really excited and getting ahead of themselves, I would um, be weary of of wasting time not creating stuff because you're following some sort of guide on, on, or pathway that you think is the way there. If the pathway to sort of success is, does not involve you making stuff on a regular basis, that's not the pathway to success uh, in my experience. Um and then I also would say I think a big mistake that I see with a lot of sort of new filmmakers is um, get excited about a project. You you write it, you make it, uh, you edit it, and you're so excited to get it out into the world that, that people tend to um, finish too soon uh, and just kind of like shit it out. And I don't mean that – yeah, I guess I do mean that like that. They just kind of – they're so excited to get their project out into the world to get feedback um, that they don't take the time and the care to make it the very best it can be. And that little extra push at the end when everyone else is kind of giving up on you and you're sort of alone and you're sort of, you know, it can be a little better and you're pushing and you're just kind of, you're asking, oh, just if you just come get, help me get this one more shot, um, just help me sort of, let's just re- look, take another look at this one scene. Maybe we can like tighten it up or, or maybe there's a better piece of music. Those little sort of, um, hold out till the end moments I think can take a project from forgettable to really special. And I think it's important for filmmakers to understand that, um, you know, you don't want to be working on your movie for your short film for like four years straight. Then you've sort of gone too far, but there is this little time period at the end of making a movie where you can always do one more push and make it a little bit better. And I I think that sort of separates the, the real filmmakers from the, uh, the aspiring. Uh I think that makes a lot of sense. You know, this is cheesy, but the devil's in the details. You know, take one last look at that draft because, you know, who knows who's going to be looking at it. Even even if it's just like you have an iPhone and you have some actors improving, even the really loose sort of, uh, you know, indie mumblecore stuff, the, the best the best creators in that space are are putting the time and energy into making it really special and doing everything they can within their means to, to – to, to make it right before they sort of send it out. And I think that that's just, I don't know. It's, it's, it's kind of hard to quantify and I guess it's, yeah. And also you are, you're so excited to share it that like, you know, you, you just make it because it's your resume, you know, you have to make it as beautiful as you can. That's right. Um, do you have any favorite genre film fests in the world? Yeah. Um, I feel like there's a, a new one I just figured out recently, but I'm trying to remember what it was. Um, I, think there's one little festival in um north carolina called kukaloris oh i never um, heard of it that was uh always just such a wonderful they treated short filmmakers really well and they would often like fly you out and put you up wow. and 
Um, huh. It was really a wonderful festival. I, now that I say it out loud, I'm wondering if they, they, they may have canceled the festival altogether last year but because uh, they were sort of struggling. But um, I, I tend to be really drawn to festivals that really take care of the creators because that's the weird thing about festivals is like they're essentially selling content that other people are making. And if you're not really take, if you're so obsessed with, you know, getting a celebrity to come or sort of the, the bells and whistles, but you're not taking care of the people that are creating the content. Uh, I think you sort of lost your way. And so um, any festival that, yeah, gives the filmmakers something extra, I think. Um, I don't know what that means. That sounded weird when I said it like that. Any yeah, festival no, that gives the filmmakers something extra. Um, yeah. <laughs> I liked, um, I thought uh, Chattanooga Film Festival oh, was, is really great. My film a, was just there this year and they were so cool. And they're like, so cool. They were so and passionate. They they're they're wonderful. And I think if you liked them digitally, just wait till you get to go in person. Uh, uh, it was so sad that we couldn't go in person. I know, and I think more people got to see it because of the digital side. And they've um, they've modeled themselves pretty closely to Fantastic Fest. And Fantastic Fest is another festival that really like treats the filmmakers with a special experience because like I remember we went out there and they had like. One day it was like shot shooting shotguns, and then there was like a filmmaker barbecue, and then there was like all these different special parties and events, roundtables. The Austin Film Festival is awesome mm-hmm. for screenwriters mm-hmm. and directors alike. Again, lots of parties and events. All I, all you really need is a festival that gives you free alcohol and puts you in a room with other filmmakers. So you want to just commiserate and talk about movies and art and get drunk while you do it, so you're not awkward. And if you can do that much, the rest, the, the movies are almost secondary. Yes, I know. I was really intimidated by that concept going into these festivals. But then the second you're in one of those weird little goth bars with all of the horror filmmakers and you're drunk, it's the most fun, exciting thing that can happen. I feel so. like I could spend the rest of my life doing that. I like it's just you go up, you see the name tag, you go, "What film are you here?" You talk to strangers in these situations that you would never talk to in like regular life. You'd never go up to strangers and be like, "So what do you do?" Yeah, what's your, what's your story? Um, yeah, <laughs> I know. Yeah. Because... Oh, can I also? Oh, also, sorry. I just, yeah, 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 yeah. Please. Another festival I want to bring up is Toronto After Dark. So I've never been able to go. I we were scheduled to go. I had my ticket and everything. I actually hurt my back. I injured my back yes. like two days before this year. <laughs> Your producer let us all know. Actually, oh, did you meet <laughs> him? I yeah, I was there. Um, and <laughs> I remember them were like, "Yeah, our director's not here." He's like, the, the, he the way he talked about it. I was so upset that I couldn't go, and then of course triple upset when pandemic happened and all of our festivals were canceled. Um, yes. But yes. it sounded amazing. And of course, he told you that I injured my back in a really cool uh, skydiving accident and not something uh, mundane, right? Yeah, yeah. And it wasn't just me. It was like definitely like an audience of like 500 people or something. <laughs> <laughs> for like, for sure. Um, oh, my God. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's where I saw your film for the first time. And it was like, thank God I got to see it in theaters. Like, no offense to everyone that watched it on Shutter. No, 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 no. It's cool. I mean, what I like best about people that saw it in theaters is I do think it's a movie that rewards a second watch. So I've been loving talking to people who had seen it once and just kind of like experienced it, like on just a, a surface level, the kind of more visceral level on a, in the yeah. theater. And then the second time at home, they can kind of watch it and start picking up some of the the layers that are sort of right beneath the surface. Cause I think that's oh. where some of the stuff yes. I'm most proud of is. This movie's going to have legs for the rest of your life because of Halloween. Uh, that's uh, 
man, <laughs> that would be. I then I could die happy. Then I could. If, if this is the only film I make, uh, I'm happy that it's a film that could potentially uh, be something people revisit for years to come. Do you have a favorite Stephen King short story? Oh, I mean, I have several, but my favorite is probably um, his short story for 1408. Um, to me, was so scary that it actually made me nauseous reading it. Scary as all hell. It was scary. I wasn't super keen on the, the, the feature, but that's probably because I just I loved the short so much. The story is so good. Mm-hmm. Um, have you heard The Jaunt? Yes, it's, like it's, a, a- it's amazing. I, I love that one, too. Wait, the, yeah. the, the, the Jaunt? Yeah, 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 yeah. So good. I read that on a plane for the first time when I was like a teenager, and I I have never been the same. I think since it's because a it's like setting a, to read it. It's a perfect setting for people that may not know. It's like a short sci-fi story that's about like what could go wrong with teleportation, and it's so chilling and nightmarish, and you won't be the same after reading it. So I was just it's talking so about it recently. Good. I can't not talk about the jaunt. It comes up whenever anyone lets me bring it up so i've put a lot of thought into how i would try to adapt that into a short okay tell um, me more well no oh, i mean oh. it, it's a uh, it, it's a tricky one because the uh, the the framing story is all set sort of on a plane that would be pretty easy to pull off mm-hmm. um but a lot of it exists in sort of these flashback sequences when the the scientists are creating the device uh, remember that and that's the scariest stuff like when they're like experimenting yeah. and like sending pe- like prisoners into the world Oy vey. yeah they start with mice i think oh they um and someone sends their wife into it but doesn't set up the other side people are gonna be like what are they talking about but oh yeah oh my god now see now you're reminding me how cool that story was i haven't read that story for a long time i love <laughs> yeah, it that's from, yeah. is that from um skeleton crew or it like, is from skeleton yeah. crew so which cool. is a little more hit and miss than his other ones but when it's just so many good ones in there there's also <sighs> mrs Todd's shortcut which i'm obsessed with and i want to make into a film well that's because also that's when stephen king was dabbling in the old Mm-hmm. And the old drugs and alcohol and cigarettes and he just made his weirdest wildest stuff i i, I love like, that stuff. before it got out of hand with like the tommy knockers you know it's like the sweet spot of addiction yeah yeah dream catcher <laughs> oh my god dream catcher yuck i've never read it actually i've only seen the movie so what do i know? I, i've heard it's bad i read it it's it's yeah i mean the movie is like the movie is taking something that's that's uh yeah the movie's the book's better than the movie my mom is so bored at this point. I can tell you that right now. She hates horror. Um, but yeah, did you tell us where we can find you on the internet? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm on uh, the Twitter at, at Ryan Spindell. If you search it, you can find me. And uh, I'm also pretty active on Instagram. I have so many cool photos I got to start posting. I'm, I was just getting that anxiety of being behind in, in posting stuff. So um, definitely check me out there. And um, wait, you have to tell me the the, the sh- other short story that you like. Oh, um, Mrs. Todd's Shortcut. It's also out of Skeleton Crew. Um, do, you, do you remember it? Or should I give a quick description? Yeah, give me a quick, a quick one. Okay, so it's this woman, this like wealthy woman that is up, um, loves driving through her rural town mm-hmm. and like through the side roads. And she's obsessed with finding quicker routes to get from point mm-hmm. A to point B mm-hmm. to the point of eventually she starts to find like interdimensional sort of pockets in the woods mm-hmm. where she where she can sort of make the shortcut faster and faster and then when she gets to the other side she'll find like residue of like giant bugs on her car that she had hit it's actually very mist adjacent actually it's, kind of. yeah i mean it's and it's also thematically very much linked with the jaunt i'm oh, starting to get a good idea about where your tastes lie <laughs> <laughs>
Yes, yes. It's in the the the, the void, the abyss. I'm so afraid of it. Why is it there? Um, <laughs> very, uh, apparently, uh, Brad Pitt's company optioned the jaunt in like 2014. I hope that doesn't happen. I, I no 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 offense to Brad Pitt, but I just think um, I don't know. I don't trust it there. So it's tricky. I mean, I that I think that based on just like us talking about it, remembering it, I think it would make a really fantastic like. Tw- 20 15 to 20 minutes short yes i agree with you fully how do you you can't pull that out into a a feature it might be like a cool play i take that back no it's not a play <laughs> but, mm. yeah no 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 it's a safe space, safe space. So. maybe it's just like you, maybe you could do it with never showing anything and just having like boring people talking about it no that's... i think so i think it's the plane the plane set and then the set rotates and on the backside it's the it's the lab the laboratory in the in the bar mm-hmm. that's the lab okay so you're in hollywood please just make this happen for me okay okay uh I, you know what don't you know you know who you're messing with i would be okay with that <laughs> okay um <laughs> well thank you so much for talking with me this was so fun i'm like Definitely. the only reason i'm hanging up because i don't want to waste up your entire life but this was amazing and um as i said first celebrity guest wow 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 can only go up from here i i, I mean no offense but absolutely <laughs> no it's like that's not, <laughs> we could go downhill easily there's my mom there's my dog <laughs> like there's a lot of people less my poor mom i'm ripping on her too hard okay you really are you uh, after i really am uh anyway thank you again and hopefully i talk to you soon yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. Uh, let me know if you have any more questions. I'm always an email away. Okay, sweet. We'll talk to you later. Bye All for right, now. Bye. Okay, so that was our interview with Ryan Spindell, creator of The Mortuary Collection. You can find uh, The Mortuary Collection right now on Shutter. And if you could also do us a favor of subscribing to this podcast, uh, sharing it, writing a review, telling your friends, that would be really appreciated. And we'll be back with another episode of Development Hell. Squad.